Okay, everybody, welcome to the podcast. Uh, this week we are doing, uh, is it 1991? 1991, I think. Yes. Uh, Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. Peter, welcome. Welcome. This is our first time speaking about Star Trek on the, on the podcast. <laughs> As I said, it was on our 89th time speaking about Star Trek. I know, we've done like um, 30 or whatever, or 40 episodes. I don't know what we're up to, but, uh, you know... We've spoken about Star Trek about ninety or a hundred times. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it, it's it's so seminal both for science fiction in general and for our development uh, as uh, adolescents. So it's hard to sort of get around it. Um, do you want to give a summary? Sure. Um, so uh, this movie is about um, this movie is really the true wrap up of the uh of of the original crew of star trek so basically the klingon moon praxis explodes and the klingon empire who in this movie is still they're not part of the federation yet like they are in the next generation they're still uh enemies with the neutral zone and they're still you know the enemies of the federation um it turns out that basically they're they're in trouble and they're a dying empire kind of a la 1990 1990s uh was it 89 or 90 the uh fall of the iron Curtain. 89 yeah 89, i think 89 the collapse of the soviet union wait this movie is about the cold war uh, just a little <laughs> so um i mean they have a direct you know only nixon can go to china or whatever is a direct quote in the movie but uh so so it turns out the klingon empire is in trouble and uh there's gonna there's an attempt to make peace and it turns out that uh there are a bunch of people who are part of the military industrial complex and want to keep war going and they um assassinate the klingon ambassador and try to make it look like the federation and this this cadre of um, across uh, Federation and Klingon traitors or conspirators um, end up being defeated by the Enterprise original crew. And Kirk, uh, you know, is, is spends some time in a prison camp with David Bowie's uh, wife and um, with some makeup on and is rescued. And then in the end, they all sign the... Um, in the end, the, the Klingons... Uh, get help and they they all sign the the teleprompter record yeah they sign they sign the kidman record and then the, the cast the original crew cast signs the uh video monitor of their way out <laughs> of the credits to say goodbye they literally sign off they literally sign off yes it is uh and then of course they decide to make uh you know generations which we spoke right. about <laughs> scotty Chekhov and kirk show up for one more paycheck <laughs> Um, I, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to talk about this movie without, I think, talking about the huge disappointment that Star Trek V was both to the fan base and to Paramount financially. Yeah. Uh, and that's sort of, that's what this movie is on the heels on. I think, I think Star Trek V is 80, 89, maybe, maybe 89, something like that. Um, and, uh, Shatner had, uh, despite his, yeah, despite Shatner's heroic efforts, uh, he, he really turned in a dud and they were very, very worried. And this movie almost didn't get made because they, they wanted to move on. Paramount very much 
wanted to move on to cheaper actors, and there was a lot of work that went into uh, a movie called Starfleet Academy that never sort of got really beyond the drawing board, but a lot of time and effort went into it because they thought, well, we can get young, cheap actors and reboot the thing, and it was either going to be a movie or a series. And then when that really didn't get off the ground, they realized that these guys had one more film left in them as the main cast. But, yeah. you know, at that point, you know, even the minor characters were really asking for a lot of money. And they, they, you can't have some and not all of them, essentially. Right. But they, they got them a little cheaper because they, they basically promised them uh, that they, the caterers would bring insure and uh, ex- <laughs> Metamucil. <laughs> extra colostomy bags. It's terrible. <laughs> so they, um, yeah, they knocked a couple bucks off. But, you know, I think after the failure of uh, Star Trek V, which is a really, it's a really hard movie to watch. Um, it's really poor. It has about 10 good minutes in it, and that's about it. Um, you know, they, they went back a little bit to basics in the sense that they looked at what worked before, and they went back to Nick Meyer. Right. They called him up because he had, of course, made Star Trek II, which is, you know, probably the most fun and best um and best the, i think right of the of the star trek uh movie franchise and, right. so and nick, they, nick meyer nick meyer talks about how uh he was in kind of rough shape when they called him he had just finished making a movie called company business and it had a very difficult time on it and he was more than happy to jump back to star trek where he had had a lot of success and and had been loved right he actually i think he he wrote star trek Four also, or he was one of the writers, um, even though he didn't direct it. So I guess he he had kind of become pretty closely hewn to the the later movie, you know, the the mid to later movie franchise. Um, yeah, and he really kind of understood. I think um, I think he understood what Star Trek was at this point, and what the fans were interested in, and what they were looking for. Yeah. So he was a very very good addition uh to the to the people who worked on this he wasn't the only person obviously who had a lot of input to this i think nimoy also had a tremendous amount of input and shatner not so much i think shatner was burned out and um a little bruised after star trek 5 and stepped back and basically said i will do what you write for me largely right um and you know, they as this was going on, you could imagine they were just literally watching the television and seeing the Soviet Union fall. And the Klingons in the original series had always been a stand-in uh, for, the, for, the, for the Russians. Russians. Yeah. And the other thing I think that you have to sort of recognize that's happening while all this is going on is that Roddenberry is literally dying. Mm-hmm. Um, and this movie represents very much a departure from what Roddenberry would have allowed had he been stronger, healthier, younger, had more say. I mean, this is a very corrupt federation. So what, you know, Star Trek V went horribly wrong and Shatner lost control. But, you know, in in 20 seconds, what happened? Uh, Why did it suck and why did Shatner end up burned out? Uh, You're asking me? Yeah. Um, I mean, Star Trek V, Shatner has spoken and written very bluntly about the fact that he was very much in over his head. He really did not appreciate how hard directing was going to be. He couldn't just wing it. Uh, he couldn't see to the pants it. Uh, 
they didn't have the money that they were counting on. The effects were terrible. They didn't have a good resolution to the story. And they were literally sort of a la Star Trek The Motion Picture. They were filming the movie without an ending. And there was tremendous awareness on the part of the cast and the crew in the studio that he didn't know how to end the movie. Um, and it really shows. Like, the ending to the movie is awful. And most of the main characters are... Uh, out of type. They're not portrayed as they've been seen. There's a lot of comedy that doesn't really work. There's a lot of slapstick. There's a bizarre scene where Scotty attempts to seduce Uhura or vice versa. I can't remember which. Um, it's just, it's very hard to watch. And the other problem with Star Trek V is they look painfully old and they have them running around like they're, you know, young toughs. Yeah. And they look ridiculous. Well, you know, the, I think in the screenplay, he was seducing Chekhov. So they at least they improved <laughs> that a little bit with Uhura. That but no, to Shatner's credit, Shatner takes the blame. Like, if you read Shatner's, uh, some of his autobiographical pieces about the movie, he lays the blame for the disaster known as Star Trek V squarely at his own feet. Like, you have to at least give him credit. Like, he says, I made a bomb. Yeah, and there was some conflict with Paramount, too, in the end, and I think they kind of tried to, you know, Paramount basically f said enough, just put out what Paramount was probably and, right. Yeah, yeah, I think there was some kind of conflict, and so it, what, any any chance they had of trying to, I mean, they might not have been able to save it, but there, there was, they ended up releasing it maybe before it was polished. I don't, I don't remember the whole story, but anyway, it, it, the long story short, it was, it turned out, being probably it's the worst well i don't know one or five it's it's it's, it's really no i think star trek the motion picture is a much much better film and it's pretty bad star trek five is i'm i'm about as die hard a tos fan as you could get and it's it's almost unwatchable like i said there's a few good minutes in it and that's all um yeah it's pos but, tos <laughs> but roddenberry for for Star Trek Six, Roddenberry is essentially out of the picture. Susan Sackett, his longtime assistant, uh, has publicly stated that when they showed him the 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 cut of the movie, he was literally two days from death and was not even able to understand or follow the movie. So he, this is how far gone Roddenberry is, and that's how they were able to get in uh, Colonel West and the sort of the corrupt, uh, the corrupt elements of the Federation, which goes very much against everything we saw in prior movies or the original show, essentially. Right, because it's supposed to be sort of, even though it's, it's a little, uh, you know, testosterone-filled, um, the Federation is sort of infallible in a way. And well, and at least at least the Federation always has good aims, right? If, even yeah. if they don't have good outcomes, their their heart is in the right place. Whereas in this movie, their heart is in the wrong place. Um, but I think another good thing that they did in this movie, a la Star Trek II, is they had a better villain, and you know they had Chris Plummer here mm -hmm. as General Chang. And again, he he spends the movie chewing scenery, but he's he's Christopher Plummer. You know yeah, what I'm saying? Like he can do it. He chews scenery well in this this movie. I mean, he he uh, he brings sort of a. He's the only one that that sort of seems believable. I mean, even uh, Kim Cattrall playing the the criminal um, Vulcan, uh, the traitorous Vulcan, is somehow not entirely believable as a traitor. Whereas Christopher Plummer, 
his heart's in it, you know, even though it's, uh, you know, he's, he's, yelling yeah, he's a real actor. Like he, whether he's doing something serious or this, he, he, he puts his all into it. I actually think Kim Cattrall is quite good in this. You know, that was supposed to be Savick. No, she is um, good, but it's just that the, the character as written, it does, there's, it doesn't really, um, it doesn't play. I don't think that. Yeah, I, I don't know. I actually think she's she's quite good. So she was supposed to be Savick, and they had a big debate, like, could Savick be a traitor? Yeah. So there was all this backing and forthing over, should it be Savick, should it not be Savick? And then the third part, the, the, sorry, the second problem they had was that, uh, you know, Kirstie Alley didn't return in Star Trek Three, and Robin Curtis, who took over the part, I mean... Um, yeah, was not uh, was not popular as uh, as Star Trek Three Savick. So then they were like, "Well, we may as well just dump the whole thing, make a new character." And this way, if Valeris is a traitor, no one's offended. Yeah, which there is, is the a right hint. Decision. By the way, is it just me or is there a hint of a sexual relationship between Spock and Valeris? I don't know. You're I think that there is. You're just a racist because they're both Vulcan. <laughs> It's like that line in Dances with Wolves. They are both white. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I always thought that there was a little sexual vibe there. Like, maybe he had mentored her and... Well, anyway. <laughs> yeah, he mentored her, all right. <laughs> I don't know. I think she's quite good in this. And, and the way that she is severe plays well. Like, I actually think that one of the best scenes in the entire movie is her big scene. The scene where... Uh, he forces the mind yep. meld on her. Yep, great like that's scene. a tremendous scene, and it's it's really frightening. I remember watching that in the theater, being like, "Whoa, yep. like wow, that's a big, big moment." Because it's it's Spock being violent. Yep, and he's pissed. Like he's pissed. Right, he's showing his emotions, and he's using his anger. It's sort of it's almost sort of Star Warsian, you know. He's yep. using his anger to achieve his goal to sort of force himself on her. It's essentially like the Vulcan equivalent of he rapes her. Yep. He does. And he goes, you know, he gets the information, but he also tries to hurt her while he's doing it. He does it. hurt her. Yeah. yeah. He, he very clearly does hurt her, that but that's one scene. of, so unlike, unlike Star Trek five, this movie is full of great scenes. Yeah. And everyone is largely in character. Yep. And it looks good. Uh, and they spent some money. And I remember uh, the very first time I saw it, the CGI blood looked good. And I remember thinking just a few minutes into it, like, oh, they spent some dough. Because <laughs> Star Trek V looks terribly, terribly cheap. <laughs> um, it does. They had a, I forget the effects house that they used in Star Trek V. They were terrible. It wasn't ILM. Um, but, they, but the effects in this movie look very good, especially the big climactic battle, which is a good 10 minutes long at the end, really feels like capital ships fighting in three space in the, in the way that, for example, they pulled off again in Generations, that bit where the, the bird of prey fights the Enterprise D. Like, it's really good and it's exciting, and you feel like the Enterprise A is really taking a tremendous pummeling. Yep, and the whole, you know, you get Christopher Plummer, uh, quoting shakespeare and flying around shooting at them it's very that's very nice that was a nice scene also uh, and david warner is good as gorkhan mm -hmm. gorkhan slash gorbachev yep um and he, i don't know if you notice his beard is meant to evoke abe lincoln like the great peacemaker <laughs> um um 
and it's it's a good idea like it's a good way uh to wrap up the original crew with them making peace with the klingons yep and uh yeah there, there's multiple good scenes and uh you know the movie kind of gets better as it goes along um, I think I agree. And the second half has much better pacing than the first. There's a lot of exposition in the first half. Yeah, and there's a bunch. There, right? There's two. It's a little slow, and and it's a little goofy, sort of uh, stagey. You know, the way that it, it, the dinner scene is very stagey. The dinner scene's bad. Even the, the the sort of plot elements that they have to establish, like the fact that all of a sudden the Klingon moon explodes, you know, and then they're in trouble. Uh, I don't understand all these these spatial, these celestial bodies exploding. So the Alpha Five explodes in yeah. Star Trek Two. Yeah, Praxis. Like, how does a moon explode? They make some sort of baloney, like, oh, the thing blew up, which is supposed to be obviously Chernobyl, right? Yeah, that's their yeah, Chernobyl. Um, yeah, but it, the and oh, you go ahead. No, I mean, I'm just. It was just sort of a. The um, the concept the 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 element was a little it's a little goofy. But once you get past that stuff and the movie, once you know um, Kirk and McCoy get taken off and tried by the Klingons and they end up in prison camp, Spock's running around, the traitors are running around, and everything's sort of coming to a peak. Um, it gets a lot better, and it speeds right, it's up. It's well paced and it's well edited, especially in the second half. Right, and you don't have to think that much about the the overall sort of you know goofy plot elements, maybe. And it, it really, it's it moves along, and it's not distracted by things that are tough to swallow. And it's it's well done then. And you're very much along for the ride. Correct. It feels like a fun romp as opposed to torture and even um, the, the little funny you know the the little things they put in there like the fact that uh sulu is captain of the excelsior now they, they really work you know it's 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 sort of um goofy uh, but nice you know and sulu you know sulu doesn't have a big part in this but he's very memorable because he kind of helps save the day at the end he does and his all his scenes he's he's very he's decisive um, you know, he's a stud in this thing. And, and then he fire apart then. Yeah. And right. And then every, you're right. Every line, he's a stud and every, uh, and on his actions, he sort of defies the Federation to, to help his old buddies. Uh, it's all these heartwarming, uh, you know, character traits that come out and, uh, it's, it's nice. It was well done, even though it's, again, it's doesn't entirely make sense, but it, it's, um, whereas, whereas, for example, in Star Trek Four and Star Trek Five, Sulu has very little to do. Like you could imagine that Takei said, "Enough! I've got to have something better." Right. Uh, he, I think my he didn't want insurer. He just wanted to have his character be a stud. <laughs> I think my favorite thing about this movie, and it's all throughout the movie, is they're really talking about Star Trek. There's lots of scenes where they're talking about the plot, but they really sort of talking about Star Trek. And like, for example, when uh, they're on the, the prison planet, the Rurapente uh, planet, you know, when Kirk sort of flirts with David Bowie's girlfriend, Iman. you know, McCoy says like, what is it with you? Yep. You know, like, and it's, and McCoy is really talking more to the audience and Kirk. Like he's sort of rolling his eyes and with this plot point, like we're going to go down this road again. Like, right. like, Come on, it's ridiculous that you're flirting with this woman. You're a 60-year-old man. Yeah. Like it's it's very very well done. I think he was 70 um, by the way. <laughs> but yes. McCoy or Kirk? Uh, um, Kirk both. 
No, Kirk <laughs> no, was, McCoy Kirk is was... older. McCoy is older. No, he, yeah, yeah. Um, and and my very favorite scene in the whole movie is when uh, Kirk and Spock are in Spock's quarters, and they have this little conversation where Spock's really kind of talking about them as actors and as the characters of Kirk and Spock. And Spock says, you know, we've grown like so old and we're, we're you know, we're just a joke now. Yeah. Like they're, they're, they're explicitly talking about Star Trek in that scene. And it gets a little serious because it cuts very close to the bone. Like this is the sixth movie after, you know, 25 years and what can they really do that's new? And they short circuit the whole thing where Kirk says to Spock, come on, I need you. Like, oh, enough of this maudlin stuff. Let's go to the bridge and wrap up the plot. And then at the very end, you know, Kirk gets a big laugh by saying, well, once again, we've saved civilization as we know it. Yep. Yeah. Along and we're having a good time, which is really all that matters. Like, to me, those bits are what makes this movie very special because they're winking and nodding at the audience the whole time. Yeah. It's they they reference the fact that they're trying to make this the final wrap up movie frequently and they talk to the audience and you know they do that in you know Star Trek 4 sometimes also um but it it has it's poignant uh it's not just just silly um it's supposed to be amusing and silly it's it's it has a poignancy because this movie was was the the final picture really and they had heavily teased. I don't know if you remember this. They had heavily teased in the in the trailers and the 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 commercial spots that Kirk would die in this movie. Yeah. Uh, and I remember when I went and saw this, I thought, oh, they're going to kill off Kirk. And they even showed in some of the trailers the little bit where um, they kill the uh, Kirk imposter on Ruripente. Like, there's a very very brief shot in some of the trailers of Kirk getting shot with a phaser, and I thought, oh man. This is it. They're gonna they're gonna bump them off, but of course they didn't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, a little cameo from uh, both uh, Michael Dorn and Rene uh, Abergenois, uh, right? Worf on Next Gen and Odo and from Deep and Space Christian Nine. Slater. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I forgot about that. Christian, Christian Slater is. I don't even know if he is listed in the credits. Christian Slater. Yeah. His mother is Mary Jo Slater, the casting person. Correct. I think that that's how he ended up in this. Right. But he was also a pretty big star at the time this movie came out. Oh, yeah. No, he was huge. Yeah. But uh, it was funny because I think a lot of people were like, when they saw it, was that, was that, was that Christian Slater? <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, he's, he's very quick. Yeah, it's dark. And Sulu is sleeping under his, uh, his Starfleet blanket, I think. Right. You could buy. Remember that they show the the Starfleet blankets in a couple of the scenes. I remember that you could buy those for a while. <laughs> uh, that was like a product placement, the Starfleet blanket. But this movie, I think, it's fun. Like that's a very important thing about this movie. Whereas, like I found Star Trek Four pain. And it moves along quickly, and it is fun. Like, I remember when we saw this in the theater, I always think back to the first time I see something, and, like, everybody just bounced out of this. Like, they had a great time. And that that bit of them signing off really...
Right. But Nick Meyer was a Nick Meyer was a good call for them. There's yeah. not any. Is there? I mean, there's not a lot of bad stuff in this movie. I think. I think that uh, Gorkin's daughter, as at Boer, she doesn't really make sense. Like, I don't really know why she's in the movie. She gives that silly little speech, and she's kind of obnoxious at the dinner. <laughs> but you know, like she's she's. They could have just scrapped her. They didn't really need to have her there. Um, I don't know. Is there stuff you think that they didn't need or could have cut out in this? I think they they didn't need to have as large a scope about the Klingons being destroyed and and all the. I don't think they really needed the Cold War references. I think it just made it harder to swallow. I think they should have just made a movie about without those overarching themes. Um, you know, more about maybe a smaller conspiracy or uh, you know something that was a little more um, a little more lowbrow. Uh, I don't think they needed that. Although it's interesting having the Klingon sort of in the position of having to sue for peace. It's very un-Klingon, and it starts the movie off on an interesting footing. Yeah. I mean, but, the, you know, the, the Star Trek franchise, I don't think it's ever really figured out what to do with the Klingons, right? Because they're supposed to be, besides putting aside... Oh, I don't know. Putting aside the fact that they're, their look changed, you know, putting aside all the makeup technology, okay? Then you've got the fact that <laughs> the makeup, right? Because you know, people, all the super dorks, you know, they're they're just they're always trying to. Back in the day, we're trying to explain why the Klingons looks changed. You know, um, yeah. There's a canonical answer given in um, Star Trek Enterprise that's extreme. Well, because you know, there you can't. The, the reason is because they they had appliances later in the movies and they put them on to make them look creepy. Um, right, as opposed to just makeup, you know, right. that they smeared all over their faces. Right, they, Although, when you were a kid, you didn't think that the Star Trek Klingons looked bad. They just looked like Klingons. Right, right. I remember when I saw Star Trek The Motion Picture the first time, I was like, who are those guys? Yeah, yeah. But looking back, you know, it Why don't they stupid. speak English anymore? <laughs> that too. Um, and where's Baltar? <laughs> remember Baltar played core on uh, Star Trek? Yes. <laughs> Uh, you know, I, but I don't think they really were able to figure out, like, are they, do they have, are they purely evil, uncivilized? Or are they not? Do they fit in the Federation? Is it, you know, they, they tried to, they mutated the Klingons a lot over time. So the point where they, the Klingons are like six or eight different different things different cultures different and the klingons are represented very differently in each of the star trek shows very i mean because they had they had different showrunners so they went in they went in a lot of different directions with them right everything changes with them all the time you know, whereas the rick vulcans, berman's not the right i mean rick berman's same. klingons are not the same as michael pillar's klingons or not the same as um who's the woman who ran uh voyager jerry taylor you know J belana torres is the half klingon character on voyage so on voyager and you know she's presented in a very complex way and her klingon nature plays into a very large number of storylines so each of the showrunners i guess kind of took it in their own direction yeah they never you know they the klingons mutated frequently whereas the Federation doesn't change that much. The Vulcans don't change that much. Even even the Romulans, even to some extent. No, if anything, the Romulans just become more Romulan as they get older. Right. So nobody, I, I just the Klingons were never settled. You know, they mutated. 
Um, an interesting bit of non, uh, non-canonical information. So we talk about fan films sometimes. Um, most of the Star Trek fan films are pretty, pretty rough, but in the last couple of years, there's been some very high-end ones, and I think one of my favorites is Starship Exeter, and they only made two episodes, but they're both, they're both incredibly good, but their first episode um, is called uh, The Savage Empire, and that features uh, General Chang... Uh, in the TOS television show era, and uh, at the end of the episode in this fan film, uh, Captain Garavik, the star of the, the, the show, hits Chang in the face with a bat, and that's supposed to be how he loses his eye. <laughs> Cute. <laughs> but if you ever get a chance, you should check out um, uh, the Starship Exeter folks. They made two episodes. One was called Savage Empire. The other is called the Tresaurian Intersection. And they're both great. And the guys who made it basically said it was so much time, effort, and money they had to stop. <laughs> but they, they're real. They're both very, very good. Um, cool. I don't know. I like this one. I think it's. I think it's a home run. And you could see, by the way, uh, why, for example. Uh, Nimoy, um, Takei, Nichols, they all passed on Generations. They kind of said, well, look, I went out better here. This was a better finish for me. Yeah, they signed off. Right, whereas um, Chekhov and Scotty and Kirk return in in uh, Generations, although really, it's it's really Shatner who has the only one with a meaningful part. And as we talked about in that podcast, they sort of had to distribute the lines for all the characters amongst them. But, you know, you could... Right. Right. No, I, I, I think it's, it's the right decision. No question. I, you know, that, that those guys, look, they wanted a paycheck. You know, you can't... Uh, <laughs> I can't blame them for that. No, are you kidding? I want a paycheck. <laughs> sure. I mean, in the Wikipedia page, it says that uh, DeForest Kelly got a million bucks for Star Trek VI. Yeah. You know, what's interesting about D. Kelly, and I remember if we said this in any other podcast, is after after Star Trek got big, he essentially retired from acting. He basically said, I'm just going to play McCoy. And the last 15 years of his career, he only played Leonard McCoy. And everything else, he just wasn't interested. I think he had his money. You know, he was doing conventions. It was probably easy. Sure. He was done. So, you know, for D. Kelly to make a million dollars is probably a huge, huge deal. Probably the biggest paycheck he ever got in his life. Probably. I mean, although I'd be surprised when you think about it, the fact that he didn't get anything like that for, you know, Star Trek four or whatever, you know, something that those movies were highly successful. So that, I mean, they were paying him if he was only getting a couple hundred grand, he was probably getting the shaft. (laughs) Shaft. Uh. Isn't there an up your shaft joke? Well, that's in Star Trek uh, 3, where the elevator says to Scotty, level please. And he says, what level? And the elevator goes, thank you. And he goes, up your shaft. Oh, my God. He doesn't say double dumbass on you, though. No. No, I'm telling you, Star Trek 4 is too... It's not for me. Uh, (laughs) any, Any other final thoughts on this? No, I think this is the one to end on, though. I think, you know, trying to, 
if you're if you're going back through the old the original show kind of canon and you're watching then just just end it with this movie where it's supposed to end just end right, it declare victory you know yeah sign off like uh just like spock did you know this is it go out on top yes all righty all right everybody We'll be back next week. Star Trek Five. Think- no. <laughs> no, no. Like, like, make the sound of the needle on the record. What? Like, we're not doing Star Trek Five. <laughs> Do you know that last thing? A lot of people consider Star Trek Five to be non-canonical. Hmm. Like, they just kind of pretend it never happened. Like Spock having a half brother named Cybok. Let's just pretend none of that ever happened, and we kind of move on. It's probably smart. All right, everybody. We'll see you guys next week.